Greetings to all my cool cats and cool kittens. They try to copy our style, but they stay frostbitten. From the broadcast to the podcast, it is your man DM Cool. And this is Cool Radio. What we doing? You can catch me on your TV, even on the radio. Pop up at our blog spot, hand on my Uwego. We invading airwaves. Oh, you didn't know? Your ass better call somebody! Yes, yes, y'all. Tell a friend to tell a friend that we are back online. Once again, it's your man, DM Cool, and this is another edition of Cool Radio. Welcome back, welcome back. Um, hasn't been too long since the last pod. What, what, two, two, three weeks, give or take, possibly. Uh, but it hasn't been too long. You know, I'm st- trying to stay consistent. Try to stay consistent. As long as there's something newsworthy and noteworthy that happens within the media, that happens within the realm of hip-hop, pop culture, and all those good things in between, you already know your boys got you covered. I got you. I promise you that on everything. That being said, we have quite a bit to get to today i came i came with a banger for you guys all right so here is what's on the docket for today's show we're gonna be talking about these rumors of will smith right i know i feel like i've been talking about will slash jada for like the last three episodes it feels like but this one this 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 may explain a few things or it may just be hearsay but it's a it's a very hefty and accusational or accusational rather uh, form of hearsay, so we'll get to that, and if you know, you know. Other than that, we have to get to uh, Cassie, recording artist Cassie, suing or attempting to sue and take Diddy to court for $3.5 million for sexual assault and domestic abuse during their tenure of their relationship. Whew, that's going to be a hot one as well. And then also, in addition to that, um, former label president of Bad Boy, Harv Pierre, being sued for sexual assault, grooming, and negligence of not only that, but potentially other issues that happen under the bad boy tree, uh, which involve Diddy and potentially other women outside of Cassie. So we're going to get into that as well. Of course, we got the Wankster of the Week lined up. And our main topic, as indicated by the title of this video, is Drake the Peter Pan of hip-hop? We'll get into all of that. We'll get into all of that. But before we get to all of that, you guys already know that to start off the show, or in case you don't know, welcome to the show. Thank you for tuning in. Um, I like to start off by getting a few things off of my chest. So on that note, I think it's time to let that ish breathe. Let this bitch breathe. Now, before I get into the main, main crux of what I want to get into when it comes to uh, Let That Dish Breathe, real quick thing. Um, so, whenever I start off a podcast, I like to get myself hyped up. Whether it's, you know, watching a trailer to, a, or sorry, watching an epic trailer to a movie, or listening to music, or watching a music video, whatever the case may be, I like to get myself amped up. Now, lately, I've been listening to this one creator on YouTube who goes by the name of June Jissel. 
Now, he may never, ever hear this clip or anything of the sort, but I think he's dope. Uh, one of the reasons why I think he's dope is because he takes very popular video game music samples. It can be video games, it can be anime, whatever the case may be. Basically, nerd shit, right? Because you already know, I'm a nerd. I'm nerdy as hell. I will always claim that, but I'm the most coolest nerd that you'll probably ever meet in your life. I promise you that. Um, that being said, <laughs> he takes samples from video games and anime, all types of you know nerd content and media, and basically, you know, put samples on there from other records. So, for example, I was listening to a sample of his that he did from a popular franchise called Street Fighter. Now, in one of its iterations known as Street Fighter 3 Third Strike, he took the intro of that music, uh, uh, sorry, the intro music of that video game, which is very popular amongst, you know, the video game community and just in general, the community of that particular video game. And he gave it a, a, an array of different samples, and he flipped it. So he did a Memphis version of it where he takes a song from Project Pat and mixes it with that video game sample and does his own beat on it, which I thought was really cool. And I think it's really cool that nowadays when it comes to that video game space, you're, you're, you're seeing a lot of hip-hop being incorporated. I think that's really awesome. I mean, prime example... I have Mortal Kombat, the the newest one, Mortal Kombat 1. I also have Street Fighter 6, which is the latest version of Street Fighter. And I also have Spider-Man Part 2. All three of those games incorporate hip-hop, you know, to, to, uh, to a certain extent, to, into varying degrees. And I think it's really awesome that we're now in this, you know, era where you can have hip-hop culture being immersed into video games at any capacity. And I think it's really awesome. And it makes for some solid music and some cool offerings within the music, and I think it's, like, one of the latest trends that's happening within, you know, video game culture and what have you, so I think that's really awesome, but speaking of latest music, that gets me into the latest project that I wanted to talk about for Let That Ish Breathe, and that is Scary Hours Part 3 from Drake, so this is going to be a very, you know, Drake top-heavy program for today's episode, but there's a lot of importance and value that I want to get into. So let's start off with talking about Scary Hours 3. So, full disclosure, I didn't even know that Scary Hours 3 came out until Monday of this past week. And in case you guys are curious, as of this recording, it is Saturday, November 25th, 2023. So basically, five, six days ago, I didn't even know that this album even existed until my man Jay Cream put me on game. So, I'm assuming, well, I, I mean, forget assuming. We know that Drake has heard the criticisms about his latest offering, which is for all the dogs, because the dogs weren't feeling it. Let's just keep it 100 and call it for what it is. A lot of, you know, popular influencers online, uh, whether it's in the YouTube space or anywhere else, were letting their feelings and opinions be known that this album just ain't it. And he took exception with a lot of people, naming, name, naming, or namely Joe Budden, and he made his criticisms about it, and we'll kind of sort of get into that later. Uh, but essentially, I guess due to the underwhelming response that he got from a lot of these, you know, culture critics, he decides to put out this project, which is basically linked with For All the Dogs. So if you go on... I don't know what it looks like on Spotify, but if you go on Apple Music, for example, Scary Hours is now included with For All the Dogs, which 
it's smart in a way because it's more streams for one project altogether, but it's a little bit annoying at the same time because now it's like if you just want to listen to Scary Hours and that's it, you can't just separate the two unless if you download Scary Hours, uh, all six songs of Scary Hours one by one by one, which, hey, it's not a big deal for me. I'm willing to do it because I would much rather listen to all of that than any portion of of for all the dogs because it's just not for me when i was listening to this project i said to myself okay the sound is infinitely better than what i heard on for all the dogs and let me make no bones about it it's not that it's a bad album it's just a very uninspiring album with regards to all the dogs for all the dogs it's just not inspiring it just sounds the same as the last projects that he's put out since 2018 with the exception of the house album and many of these reasons i outlined on the previous episode so you guys can go and take a look at that or take a listen to that if you want to get much more of my perspective on that album with regards to scary hours part three the beat selection was right on my alley because it kind of goes in line with what drake has done in the past as far as his beat selection now when drake was coming up in the game between comeback season and so far gone his bag was that hip-hop soul style so the style that you would hear from a ninth wonder or a jay dilla for example that's the sound that he more or less tried to bring on scary hours which i was appreciative of that because on the last episode of cool radio i was alluding to that when we or if rather we do get a, a, a traditional rap album from drake it's going to go along the lines of what he's done in the past, like that comeback season era of Drake. Now, I'm not saying that this is it. It's definitely not it. This is just something to insatiate the backpacker fans like myself, for example, who want to hear that style. But for me, instead of hearing it in an EP style of an album, I want to hear a full-length, full LP, like 15 tracks. That's what I want to hear. And this is just basically a tease of that. But nonetheless, it still sounded good. I liked uh, the sounds of it. I also liked the fact that his wordplay was a bit more complex than it has been in recent times. And I do like the fact that he went with more long format storytelling on this album. Because as you guys already know, or may not know, I am a sucker for storytelling. I love to be a storyteller. I like to give people the full context of things. I like to paint the picture, so to speak. And I love it when when my rappers paint the full picture. So he definitely gave me a lot of that. And there were certain topics and themes that he touched on, uh, for example, like blackness and the lack of blackness that was perceived onto by others with regards to him, which I will get to later on in the show. So I do like that he touched on that and he has touched on that before, but very briefly. And I wish he would go in more when it came to those subjects. So there's that. However, the things that I disliked about the album were the fact that the subject matter was still the same for the most part. So, you know, women, money, success, etc., etc. And then him still acting petty towards his exes, uh, which again, we'll talk about later on in the show. And then also still catering to a younger demographic, which again, we will talk about later in the show. So overall, I thought it was a solid offering. I thought the collaboration that he did with J. Cole on for all the on for on sorry on Scary Hours was better than the one that he did on for all the dogs. I felt like that collaboration between the two on for all the dogs was 
kind of underwhelming if, if I'm being completely honest, whereas I thought this one was like right on par with what I want to see or hear rather on the J. Cole Drake collaboration. So my thoughts on it is that I would much rather listen to Scary Hours than For All the Dogs. Scary Hours may have some replay value in there. I don't know how much replay value, but For All the Dogs has no replay value whatsoever. I heard it once and I was done because I already knew what the script was. With this one, I may hear it. I may give it another two to three listens and then we'll see what happens after that. Beyond that point, it may just be an occasional listen mainly because of the flaws that I pointed out, but it may have some potential because of the pros that I pointed out on this project. So if you guys have heard the project, what do you think about it? Please let me know, hit me up, and share me your thoughts. All right, let's get into it, guys. Let's get into it. I already alluded to this um, in Let That Ish Breathe. So so now we're going to segue into this uh, with our Mike Checkman segment of the day. And that is that Drake is the Peter Pan of rap. Now, I hope I don't have to explain what the story of Peter Pan is, because I'm sure we've all heard that story from when we were kids growing up, no matter what generation it is. But generally speaking, I make the comparison between him and Peter Pan because of the fact that he is going through a second childhood of sorts. He is not really growing up and maturing when it comes to his appearance, when it comes to his relationships with people. And when it comes to the music. And those are the three things that I want to dive on. His appearance. His his relationships with certain people. Specifically women. And the music as a whole. So let's get into that. Because I really. Oh sorry. I'm out here saying there's three things I want to get on. No, no, no. There's four. There is four. So the three that I mentioned. And then the fourth one. Which is the wild card and all of this which I believe to be true based on what I've heard from him over the years and including in his latest projects is the biracial complex. That's the fourth one. That's the biggest one. We're going to leave that one for last, but for now let's start off with his appearance. So I said this in the last pod as well, but then there's been a few more recent developments with regards to this, but let's talk about his appearance these days. So first and foremost, he's dressing overly baggy now i am not one to you know shame people's style of dressing or what have you because everyone that has particular style of dress that they feel more accustomed to sometimes i may dress a bit more fitted to have a bit more of a form-fitting appeal because i have a bit more of like a muscular athletic tone and build to myself so i want to wear something that's a bit more slim fitting a bit more snug kind of shows off the body a little bit you know in that in that regard God, I sound like an Instagram thirst trap right now. <laughs> I'm not trying to, but something just fitted because it's more comfortable for me, basically. And I don't, and it doesn't make me feel juvenile. On the flip side, however, there are times where I want to wear clothing that is a bit more loose fitting. So something in the more athleisure department, so to speak, right? Sometimes I wear, you know, a Japanese streetwear, which is a bit more loose fitting, but it's not overly baggy. It's still, you know, fitted to my measurements. It's true to size but in the loose fitting category. So it's not overly baggy. It's comfortable enough, but not to the point where it makes me look juvenile. So with that being said, however, Drake looks like he's overly baggy, like to the point where I could look into my closet to see if I have any clothes that I wore from 2003 and I would wear it just to try it on to see what it looks like now, now that I'm literally a grown ass man. And when I try it on, I look at myself and I say, why the hell 
did I wear this when I was like 15 years old and scrawny as shit? <laughs> you know what I mean? It's one of those. And Drake is has been wearing a lot of that, you know, within recent years when it when it comes to his attire. Like, even if you check out his recent music videos, he's wearing these leather jackets that look like they were made from Averex back in 2004, and they're just overly baggy. Same goes with the boots and the shoes and the sweaters. And it's like, dude, this is not 2002 anymore. You are not part of Dipset. You are not Cameron. You are not Jewel Santana. You are not Jim Jones. You're not Freaky Ziki. This ain't Rockefeller. This ain't Dipset. Why are you dressing like that? It's just weird. And then he has like the weird, you know, hair pins in his hair whenever he has a hair out of the braids and what have you. It's like, dude, why are you out here looking like a Memphis pimp? It's so weird. It's just very weird. So outside of that, he also has the grills in his mouth, which I started noticing him wearing a lot more frequently from like 2018 and onward. And I get it. You have roots in the self because your dad is from there. I get it that you are signed to a Southern label. Well, you were signed to a Southern label with uh, Young Money and Lil Wayne was your influence. But the things that stood out to fans was that you didn't cater to those stereotypes. You didn't have the grills in your mouth at that time. You weren't playing up to that. But I feel like as time has gone on and the older you've gotten, you've leaned more into those stereotypes. And my thing is, why not just do that when you're younger, get that young boy shit out of your system. And then as you get into your 30s, you don't have a desire for that anymore. But clearly, at age, what, 37 now? As of this past October, he still has that in him. So I find that very weird. It's just almost like this. It's almost like he's going through like a midlife crisis. And it's very it's very weird. It's almost kind of disturbing in a sense. Not disturbing that it's it's of some sort of perverted nature or anything like that, but disturbing in the sense where it's like there's a psychological issue that's really happening. And again, we will get to that later on as we're diving into these different topics, but that's definitely something that I've noticed over the last few years, and especially with this album that's come out, well, these last two albums now, it's more, it's more than apparent. It's clear as day at this point. So that's something that I've noticed. Moving on. As of recent, and this is the one that really disturbed me the most, but as of recent, I think this week I came across this actually. He now has his face tatted up. Bro. Why are you tatting your face? I don't care how small the tattoo is. I don't care if he had gotten a big one. Why are you tattooing your face, bro? You're not Lil Wayne. You're not Birdman. You're not Gucci. You're not 21 Savage, not Trippy Red. You're not any of these young boy rappers who are tatting their faces from head to toe. So why are you doing it, man? Why are you doing it? I'm not even mad at the fact that he has tattoos. In fact, when he did get tattoos, he got them in the smartest and most strategical places. He got them under his arm. He got them on his torso. He basically got them in places where you can hide them. Why? Because at that time, at the very least, he recognized that he is a household commodity. He is a worldwide brand. He is at the point where your grandmother at your friend's bar mitzvah knows who Drake is. 
He is that universal and recognizable as a brand. He's arguably the biggest pop star in the world, let alone rap star. He's up there with Rihanna, uh, uh, Bad Bunny, Taylor Swift, Beyonce, you name it. He's up there. He is in that upper echelon of pop star iconic status. Which begs the question, why are you tattooing your face? Like, why are you single-handedly ruining any brand opportunities that may come your way now that you have a tattoo on your face? Because now people, in addition to wearing the overly baggy clothes, putting the grills in your mouth, wearing these wearing these weird bobby pins in your hair, all these advertisers and brands, despite the fact that you are a goldmine when it comes to making numbers and selling units, they're going to look at you and say, ooh, ooh, now he looks like one of these gangsters. Ooh, we don't want we don't want to put them on our billboards now. Ooh, why do we want to do that? Why are you ruining your own bag, bro? You're ruining your own brand now. Maybe, maybe he is so big of a brand at this point that anything that he does to his face may not even matter. It may not even matter because hey, people are still out here checking out checking for Britney Spears even though she's doing some weird knife dances in her mental state right now in, in her house in her underwear. But we also have to keep keep in mind, and I'm not trying to make this a race thing, that Britney Spears is a white girl, a blonde, blue, blonde hair, blue eyed white girl. All right, a blonde hair, blue eyed white girl will always get the benefit of the doubt over a black guy. <laughs> All right, let's call for what it is. Even if Drake just so happens to be a biracial individual who is also, you know, racially ambiguous to a certain extent who has encapsulated the world with his music for the better part of a decade, decade plus now, at the end of the day, you still come from a genre where black stereotypes are are basically taboo in certain markets. And you were able to escape all that for the majority of your career. But now that you're at this point in your career, maybe he feels he's at a point where he has transcended that. I don't know. But it's still a bit off-putting and it still goes back to the fact or back to the point that I was making that you are still in some sort of second childhood state. Because again, the tattooing of the face along with other things that he's doing you know, to mess with his appearance, it still screams out midlife crisis and it still hampers your, your ability to make moves outside of the music industry. Keep in mind, this guy started off as an actor. Is he not thinking about doing movies anymore? Now, obviously, you know, if you're doing a movie and you already have a certain appearance, you can cover up certain tattoos with makeup or you can do the CG AI thing. That's still a possibility. Not saying that it isn't. But don't make it more difficult for yourself than it has to be when it comes to, you know, catering to these advertisers who can give you just as big or if not a bigger bag in that arena than you're getting in rap. I'm just saying, don't close off opportunities by doing stupid young boy shit like putting tats on your face. That's all I'm saying. Hell, this guy had a private jet before Lil Wayne had a private jet with his face on it. Are people going to want to put your face on a jet when, when, now that it's all tatted up and everything? I don't know. Tatted up face, grills in the mouth, weird bobby pins in your hair. I'm not even going to talk about the braids because braids is just a hairstyle. It, it is what it is. That's whatever. Because if that's the case, then Jay-Z's in the second childhood with the dreadlocks that he has, right? So I'm not going to put that on him. But everything, everything else that I said, in addition to the overly baggy clothes from 2002, bro, what are you doing? What are you doing? That's point number one with regards to him 
being the Peter Pan of hip hop right now. Now let's talk about his relationships with women. Now I'm not going to be like, I'm not going to go on some sort of moral high horse and be like, oh, you got to be more respected towards women or whatever. I'm not going to do that. Obviously, you, you should be respectful towards women as well as be respectful towards men and just be respectful towards everyone because in order to gain respect, you got to give respect. I think we're all pretty universal on that. But my my gripe isn't with his you know, attitudes towards women. It's the fact that he still continues to philander with the same type of women. Now, I don't know if that has made him super red pilly. I mean, he does come off a little red pill from time to time when, when he's talking about these certain women, what have you. But knowing that you're dealing with a certain type of woman, why are you still continuing to put yourself in that bracket? Because that could potentially ruin your perception of women as a whole if you continue to mess with these types of women. So what do I mean by that? I'm talking about the type of women that are within the hip-hop industry. Your typical vixens, if you will. Whether it's the Instagram baddies, the video models, recording artists who have that bad girl presence or that bad girl imagery, he is still dating and philandering with them, talking about, I can fly you out here, fly you out there. Not to mention, he's still you know, dating women who are significantly younger than him. Women who are part of this Gen X, or sorry, Gen Z era who are completely vain and only care about their Instagram followers and who's flying them out and who's paying for this and who's paying for that. You are still enamoring yourself with those types of women which is not helping your perception of women at all. Because if you really want to date a woman who is down for you and wants to be there, the, the good and bad, even if one day you happen to go broke or you don't have nearly as many fans as you did before, you don't want a fly-by-night woman who is only looking for the next person to boost up her social media following. You just want, you, you need, you need, sorry, not want, but need someone who is far removed from the vanity of the record industry and of the entertainment industry as a whole. Somebody who's probably not even in that industry at all for that matter, who just likes you for who you are as a person beyond the celebrity aura. You want somebody who doesn't want to be enamored with the person that is Drake. You want somebody who is enamored with the person that is Aubrey Graham. The person behind Drake. The one who created Drake. You want a girl who wants Aubrey Graham. Not Drake. And the problem with Drake is that he keeps going for women who want Drake. That is his problem right now with regards to women. And what I find weird. Or one of the things I find weird in, in, in addition to that. Is the fact that for what, what seems like a decade now. And I could be wrong. But what seems like a decade now. He still carries and harbors resentment towards Rihanna. Now, I don't know how far their relationship went. I don't know if they were actually an item, if they were dating casually and briefly, whatever the case may be. But he has had it in for this woman ever since they broke up, quote unquote. Again, I don't know what the dynamic of their relationship was, if it was an exclusive relationship, if they were dating you know, on and off casually. If they are friends of benefits, I have no idea. But the way Drake goes on and on and on about Rihanna with subliminal after subliminal after subliminal, he still hasn't gotten over her. And it's fucking weird. 
Like, you are Drake. You can literally date any woman you want in and outside of the entertainment industry. And yet, this woman, for whatever reason, has your heart like that. Now, I'm not going to say that, you know, you know um, that you can never get over an ex. Because, trust me, it takes a while to get over an ex, depending on, on the relationship that you and that person have. I totally understand that. But with him patterning his image as the quote-unquote certified lover boy, it still amazes me that he still hasn't gotten over, especially when you consider the fact that she has long since moved on from him and married ASAP Rocky and had a child by him. So whether it's an emotional thing or if it's this thing where where I've noticed over the last decade where Rihanna has been seen as the holy grail of all sorts of entertainers who want to be with her, whether it's Drake, Chris Brown, J.R. Smith, Blake Griffin, and now ASAP Rocky. I don't know if it's this thing where he wants to be the Jay-Z in the sense where he's got the baddest chick in the game wearing his chain. He wants to have the ultimate trophy wife, the, the eye candy that everyone wants to envy him for. I don't know if it's that. I feel like it is. I, I felt like, I feel like it's like that, but I don't know that for a fact. But if that's the case, then again, that also adds to the point of him being in this childhood like state of mind where it's like you want, you know, the, the, the baddie R&B chick on your arm. Like it's that whole thing with Biggie dating Faith Evans way back in, in the mid-90s where before Biggie, no one really had that baddie R&B ting on their arm. But then ever since Biggie did with Faith Evans, now everybody wants to have that. Everybody wanted to have that at some point in time, you know? And I feel like that trend is still continuing. And I feel like Drake wanted to be... I, I feel like Drake, and not necessarily wanted to be the Biggie and, and, and Faith Evans of his generation. But I feel like Drake wanted to be the Jay-Z and have Rihanna as his, as his Beyonce. Therefore, they could be the jay-z and rihanna of this generation i feel like that's what he had in mind for himself and rihanna clearly rihanna had other plans in mind <laughs> i think rihanna just wanted to be happy with whomever she was with and the happiness just so happened to be with asap rocky and we all know that rihanna is the biggest star between the two and it's it appears that rocky has no quarrel or issue with that whatsoever and if that's the case then so be it happy for him happy for them but Drake still, for whatever reason, hasn't found a way to let it go. And he needs to let it go because it makes him look like a child. Speaking of which, in terms of letting things go, he mentioned a woman that he was dating on his latest project with the record uh, entitled The Shoe Fits, um, stating that she, he was shocked to find out that she's now dating James Harden. And again... This goes back to the point that I was making before, where for whatever reason, rappers, rappers especially, I should say, athletes too, but specifically rappers, they love to date within the same circle. They love dating within the same circle, and it's just fucking weird. It's fucking weird. And it's not like a lot of these guys are friends. It's one thing if, like, Drake and J. Cole were dating the same girl. And Drake and J. Cole seem to have a genuine friendship with one another. So if that happened, I can understand why he would be upset. But we're out here talking about guys like James Harden, who is a basketball player. 
and basketball players and to a certain extent football players and rappers, their worlds tend to mingle in and intertwine with one another because the old saying goes, you know, rappers want to be ball players, ball players want to be rappers. And in more ways than one, apparently, because apparently they want to date the same girls so that they can live vicariously through one another. And again, it's some fucking weirdo shit. I don't understand. And he's getting mad at this. Now, I don't know Drake to have a relationship with James Harden. I don't feel like he does. But we all know that Drake is a stan for basketball players. We know this, all right? I'm not even going to roast him on it. It is what it is, right? A lot of rappers have been stands for basketball players. We know this. But it's just weird that he goes on in this in this record, which, to be honest, I kind of like the record, actually, since it reminds me of I Got a Story to Tell from Biggie, where he was talking about some girl, you know, dating a guy from the, from the New York Knicks, but then went on to have an affair with a guy who played for the Utah Jazz. It was, it was an interesting concept. Uh, and this song reminds me of that. But that being said, it just goes back into the concept of you having the hots for a girl who is within the industry who sounds pretty vain and irrational and who seems like she's of a much younger age, but then you go off and get mad at her because once their your relationship ended with this girl, she's now dating James Harden. Like, at this point, bro, what do you expect? Like, if you keep dating the same girl over and over and over again, you're going to get the same result. And I'll say the same to women who date the same type of guy over and over and over again, you're gonna get the same result. So at some point, you gotta look at the blueprint and change it up. You gotta look at yourself inwardly or look at the mirror and say, yo, what am I doing that is attracting all these negative people into my life? But I feel like Drake doesn't wanna take accountability for those actions. And that is yet the actions of a person who doesn't wanna grow up. Because when you grow up, you have to accept your responsibilities. And also when you grow up, you have to accept accountability for your actions even if somebody did wrong you not to say that you have to blame yourself for the entirety of that of that ordeal sure that person takes blame as well but if something like that it becomes a recurring pattern over and over again you have to look at yourself and, and ask yourself what am i doing to attract these people into my life and what can i do to prevent the attraction of these people in my life that means that something that I'm doing has to change. Or if there's something that I'm not doing, I have to implement it within my everyday life or else it will go south. He needs to have that level of accountability in him, but he doesn't. And that's a problem. So there's that. And then when it comes to the music, I'm not going to go too deep into this because, you know, I talked about it in the, in the last episode and I kind of alluded to it earlier on. But just as a refresher, when it comes to the music, the subject matter within this music is still the same. Um, it's grown stagnant. And he particularly collaborates with artists of this particular generation. So whether it's the Little Babies, it's the 21 Savages, it's the Little This, the Little That, etc., 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 he often collaborates with those people because those are the people who basically grew up on his music. When Young Money was doing their thing in the later to uh, early to mid 2010s, or sorry, the later 2000s to the early to mid 2010s, they were provided the soundtrack for a lot of the rappers who are now the current guys and girls in the game. They grew up on that Young Money sound and Drake was a huge proponent of that. Therefore, I feel like Drake caters to that audience 
um, in terms of the people who listen to his music, as well as the people that he collaborates with, which then also entails the second childhood thing that he's kind of going through right now. That's what I believe, at least, that he's catering to that demographic based on who listened to his music in the past. And also, it's also low-key a bit of a reaction towards him not gaining the acceptance of the people that he grew up listening to. So whether it's people like T.I. turning him down, which he has said in an interview, people like Fat Joe, which he has turned down uh, based on what he said in an interview, those guys turned him down early in his career. Hell, Fat Joe, Fat Joe turned down um, a collaborative, a potential collaboration between him and Drake, as well as Remy Martin and French Montana for All The Way Up. And somebody correct me if I'm wrong, but All The Way Up came up in like 2014, if I'm not mistaken. In the 2010s, at least. By the time like Drake had already made, like put out three albums or something to that extent. I feel like he, that track came out around that time. If I'm wrong, please correct me. But nonetheless, even they didn't want to collaborate with him at that time. And by then, Drake was already solidified as a star in the rap game, as the star in the rap game. But nonetheless, they turned his back on him. He, They didn't want to, you know, collaborate with him because they weren't ready for the type of sound that Drake was, was about to offer to the game. And fast forward, ironically enough, it's now it's those rappers who want to collaborate with him, but Drake could care less for them, which I understand. And that could be you know, uh, somewhat of a defiant act uh, with uh, coming from Drake as a way of saying, oh, before you guys didn't want me, but now where I'm at, now you guys want to want to collaborate with me. You guys want to get your numbers and your streams up? Nah, F y'all. So I can understand from a defiant standpoint, but then conversely, why are you now making music for these young people who are completely removed from your lifestyle and where you're at in life nowadays when it comes to you know, personal finances and priorities and things like that. Drake just seems like he's moving like a young boy. It's just really weird. Whether he's trying to, you know, philander with the likes of Ice Spice or Sexy Red or, or um, uh, what's that girl's name? The one who dated uh, uh, London. What's that girl's name? I can't remember the girl's name, but the one who made the song about being the fourth baby mama. I... Her name is on the tip of my tongue right now. I just can't remember. But anyways, my point still stands. He's moving like a young boy <laughs> from a musical standpoint as well. Now, let's get into the biracial thing for a second. Because that's the crux of it, in my personal opinion. That's what I want to get at. Now, in this one, this one's a bit more layered and more detailed. So, bear with me for a second. Also, I'm kind of low-key realizing that I probably should have had a bit of a snack or two before recording this pod because your boy's feeling lightheaded right now. But, hey, that's neither here nor there. Um, going back to the final point that I wanted to bring up in this topic with regards to Drake's Peter Pan complex. He mentioned on a record, I can't remember the name of the song, but he mentioned on Scary Hours Part 3 that he's always been seen as not being black enough. And I feel as though him dressing the way he does and the general appearance that I went over earlier is a reflection of that. That being said, that brings me to a theory that I've had for years now. And, oh my God, Siri's acting up right now. Um, Theory, Siri, I get it. Okay, cool. Um, Nonetheless, this brings up a theory that I've had for many years. And this is my theory. 
Now, I don't know how it is in other cultures and ethnicities and race and races uh, when it comes to colorism and shadism and things of that nature. But when it comes to the biracial complex within the black community, so so in other words, more specifically, somebody who's half black and half white or somebody who's just light skinned, but their parents are light skinned, so on and so forth, based on the generations, what have you. There is unfortunately a complex that comes with that when it comes to attaining quote unquote blackness. And there are two spectrums. And there is a middle point, but that middle point is occupied by very few in comparison to the wider ends of the spectrum. And that is this. When it comes to biracial people specifically, I've always noticed a complex. I'm not even talking about within social media or mainstream entertainment or anything. I'm not even just talking about that. I'm talking about that as well, but not just that. But I'm talking about my interactions with people that I've met in person. There's always a complex, and that complex goes as followed. Because blackness is always seen as this as this monolithic thing, and it's always been, uh, it's always had a gatekeeper presence on it. There are two spectrums. On one side, there's the overly ratchet side, and on the other is the overly righteous side. Let me explain. When it comes to the overly ratchet side. Unfortunately, when it comes to hip-hop culture and in a lot of aspects of black culture, the more ratchet you are, the more blacker that you will be acknowledged as, not by everyone else outside of black culture, but by people within black culture, which is the sad thing. So a lot of the ratchet aspects that you see now nowadays, and even back then, they're put up on a high pedestal by people within black culture. A prime example of that is when Will Smith slapped the shit out of Chris Rock on a live stage, and you saw the reaction of a lot of black people saying, yeah, that's right, he stood up for his woman, da 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 all that stuff. That would be an example of that. Or in Drake's case right now, where his general appearance, that would be an example of catering to your black side, but on the most overly ratchet aspects possible. But on the flip side, on the righteous side of things, it's the black person who wants to be woker than thou, the one who is basically a hotep, somebody who wants to be the pan-Africanist, but to the to the furthest, the furthest extent, they'll do their hair in the most, um, I would say, quote-unquote, Negroidian hairstyles. So whether it's having the dreadlocks, whether it's having the braids in the hair, uh, just having lengthy hair in general that showcases, you know, African hairstyles, They'll do that. They'll dress it in, in a certain way. They'll, they'll wear a bunch of beads and medallions that scream out black culture or black power, whatever the case may be. That would be their form of showing their blackness. And I've noticed this all throughout my life when I've inter interacted with different people here and there. And I feel bad for those people because they feel as though their identity is through their race. And they have to show that they are that they're as black as possible to show that they have an identity, that they have a personality. And I've always said that your personality is not your race or your race is not your personality, rather. Who you are as a person, your interests, your hobbies, your thoughts, values, beliefs, all that amalgamized into one is your personality. So if people were to come up to me and have a conversation with me, I'm sure that the first few things that they would point out is that I'm very passionate about certain things. 
I have a very big smile. I like to laugh a lot. And I have certain perspectives on certain things that are very detailed. That would be, Those would be aspects of my personality. Going up to somebody and be like, oh, yeah, his personality, he's really black. Like, that's not a personality. You know what I mean? And I feel like, unfortunately, there are a lot of black people out there who get caught up in that conundrum of, of letting their, their racial identity speak for them as their personality. And that's just not the case. And I've seen this with Drake. And I feel like I've seen this with J. Cole to a certain extent. And the difference between J. Cole and Drake is that with J. Uh, with J. Cole, he he's more on the righteous side of things. But I feel like J. J. Cole, in, for example, has had that complex because not only has he spoken on it in records, but I remember when No Name, the rapper No Name, got at him and Kendrick Lamar for not being down for the cause when it came to Black Lives Matter, which is bullshit. Um, J. Cole put out a response to her literally a day later with the record Snow on the Bluff. And he basically talked about his insecurities of being a light-skinned person and being called out by a dark-skinned person for their lack of not being there, for example. And I feel like this is a complex that J. Cole has had for many years. And maybe that, you know, um, maybe that explains why he now has his hair in dreadlocks or what have you. But I will give him the benefit of the doubt in saying that I feel like ever since 2014, Forest Hills Drive... He's taken a more nomadic approach to not only his music, but his lifestyle as well. Uh, but this goes across the board to other people like Logic, for example, who is biracial, but he's also racially ambiguous. So in other words, he could pass for black, he could pass for white, he could pass for Latino. He might even be able to pass for Arabic. But because of his racial ambiguity, a lot of black people have turned their nose away from him because... They feel as though he, that he benefits from a privilege that they will never have. And because of that, that's created a complex within him. To the point where he has discussed it openly and candidly within his music, which I love and appreciate. But because of the fact that he's racially ambiguous and he carries a certain amount of privilege. Or a perceived amount of privilege due to that. A lot of people will look at him talking about his biracial complex and be like, Oh, I don't want to hear that shit. I don't want to hear that. Oh, boo is me, woe is me. I don't want to hear his light skin problems. Da, 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 da. I've heard that, uh, that, 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 that complaint time and time again, and it boggles my mind because these are the same people who will listen to our rapper talk about selling drugs and cocaine and all that shit for 20 years, talking about the same shit, but they will still go out and support that dude's music because he keeps it real. He's for the streets, da, 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 all that dumb shit that they put on a pedestal. But when Logic is is talking about his truth, that not only he, but a lot of other biracial black people go through, nobody wants to hear that. Same can be said for Meghan Markle. Meghan Markle is another woman who is half, half black, half white. Looks racially ambiguous. But because she's never been in that black actor circle, people just don't want to take her seriously or, or just don't want to give her the time of day. I remember watching a video on YouTube from a creator who goes by the name of Ryan Davis. And he basically lambasted her for excluding herself from that black, quote-unquote, black inner circle. But my question is, did anyone ever ask if she wanted to be invited into that black circle? Maybe she was trying to be a part of that black inner circle, but nobody paid her any mind because she's light-skinned. She's white-passing. She has privilege. Maybe no one in that black inner circle wanted to mess with her, which is why 
she has done shows like Suits, for example, or has been a part of Nickelodeon from when she was a child. Maybe nobody asked her these questions and just excluded her just right off the bounce of not even trying to give her a chance. But no, nobody wants to ask that question at all for whatever reason or another. Bringing it back to Drake, however, I feel like he suffers from this complex, which is why he now chooses to have the appearance that he has. Once again, the face tattoos. To a certain extent, the braids. Again, it's a, it's a hairstyle, it's a form of expression, but again, you want to do things that will make people endear you into what they perceive to be as the blackest form of blackness possible. So you can add that into the equation. The, the weird hair pins, the grills in the mouth, the overly baggy clothes from 2002, and the subject matter within the songs as well. All that cascades into this fourth and final point about the biracial complex because he wants to be on the overly ratchet side of things so that people can perceive him as being black, even though we all know that he's half black, half Jewish, who is racially ambiguous because he can look Jewish at times, he can look black at times, he can look Latino at times, he can look Arabic at times. And because of that, it creates this stigma around him that he not only recognizes, but that he has suffered from. So at that por portion, I can understand the trauma that comes with that, but it still speaks to the grander point of things where he is still immersed in his second childhood because even at the age of 37, he is still trying to prove his blackness towards people. And at some point, you just got to throw your hands up and say, fuck it. I'm going to be me regardless of what I look like. If I dress corny, if I do my hair a certain way, and it's not perceived as black, then who gives a shit? Because why should that matter past, I would say, high school? College, maybe, because you're still trying to figure out your sense of independence. But I would say past the age of 25, it shouldn't matter. It really shouldn't. People are going to like you and hate you regardless for what you say, what you dress like, who you affiliate yourself with, whatever the case may be. Me, a dark-skinned black person who is half Ghanaian and half Nigerian, has been called whitewashed ever since he was in elementary school, okay? I will say that openly, and I have no shame saying that at all. I've been called whitewashed for a multitude of reasons, all right? Oh, I like video games. I like certain video games. I'm a fan of anime. I like kung fu cinema. I am open to trying different foods from different cultures. I, I, I live in the suburbs. Like, everything under the sun, I've been called whitewashed for for a myriad of reasons. And at the age that I'm at right now, I just don't give a shit. You know I don't give a shit? Because I don't live by the laws of, of, of black culture and what it dictates. Black culture is not a singularity. Nor It shouldn't be treated as a singularity, but unfortunately, it is treated as a singularity. And when you treat it as a singularity, you live by a certain guideline of rules that either deviate away from your persona or they enhance it. And for me, it deviates away from my from my personality. So therefore, I'm not gonna cater or or, or, or grovel to it. Why? Because it doesn't concern me. It just doesn't. And I feel like if I were to do that, I would just be miserable as fuck. And I don't wanna be miserable. I like being happy. In case you guys haven't noticed, I'm a pretty happy individual for the most part. But when shit like this comes up, that's what annoys me. And I feel sorry for Drake and other people who are in that predicament, dark skin or light skin, or somewhere in the middle, where they feel as though they have to live out these stereotypes in order to achieve what they deem as the ultimate level of blackness. Whether it's on the ratchet side or the righteous side of things, or somewhere in between, they feel as though they have to do that. And I feel as though because of that, that 
the music, the women he affiliates himself with, and the appearance that he's now taken on are what encapsulate Drake as being the Peter Pan of hip hop in 2023. But hey, maybe I'm completely off on that. What do you guys think? You guys already know. Let me know your thoughts. Hit me up on my socials and let's talk about it. All right. That was a very layered version of mic check. I feel like I I hit as many points as I could to, you know, prove my argument. But anyways, we're back now. Let's get into the next thing, which is trip talk. So three of the hottest topics that took place within pop culture. Let's get into it. So first thing I want to talk about is Will Smith. All right. It feels like over the past year, maybe two years now, like I feel like maybe three years now altogether, I feel like we've gone into the window of the Smith family that we did not ask to be in in the first place. And this latest story is yet another example of that. And this one is a bit disheartening um, only because of the fact that it's a rumor. It's a very salacious rumor at that. And so we don't know if this is true. So if this is just a rumor then it's it's a it's a it's a gross rumor because like now somebody's reputation as you know being like a loving husband and a supporting one of that is being put on the line as well as the other person that that's allegedly involved that being said there is a person who used to work closely with will smith uh an assistant of sorts and a friend as well somebody who alleges that they are part of will smith's inner circle and there are pictures or photographs with this person as well so not necessarily allegedly but like there's at least a connection like a direct connection so he was on a podcast and i can't remember the name of the podcast but this was the same pod that exposed what's that guy's name uh derek jackson for being a cheater anyways he was on this podcast and he exposed the alleged, um, I guess the alleged rumor, if you want to call it. But he exposed the alleged rumor of Will Smith having a sexual relationship with his male best friend, Dwayne Martin. So as he alleges, and I'm paraphrasing, mind you, that there was a show, some sort of show, could have been an award show or, or something to that extent, where they're all present at. And... Will Smith was still in his dressing room. So he knocked on the door to try and get Will to come out and, you know, show up for whatever event it was. And lo lo and behold, allegedly, he walked into Will Smith having sexual relations with Dwayne Martin. Now, for those of you guys who don't know who Dwayne Martin is, he's best known for his role in the film Above the Rim, which stars actor Leon and Tupac, as well as Bernie Mac and Marlon Wayans. He was in that film. Outside of that, he did a series that Will Smith produced back in, I would say, the early to mid-2000s. That was on UPN, if I'm not mistaken. And then he's just been in a few movies and TV shows here and there. But he has a friendship with Will Smith, but this person is now alleging that there was a sexual relationship between the two. So... I don't know, no one knows really if this is in fact the truth. We don't know this. We have no idea if this is true. This just came up out of nowhere from a guy who was a part of Will Smith's inner circle at the very least because we have seen photographs of him and Will together. So you can Google that and make with that what you will. But 
whether it's true or not, this is just now adding another wrinkle into the paradox that has become Will Smith. It's like, whether it's slapping Chris Rock, whether it's staying with the wife who openly cheats on him and verbally disrespects him, whether it's trying to placate to a crowd and an audience who has never really been on his side in the first place. This kind of goes into what I was saying with regards to, you know, achieving, trying to achieve a certain level of blackness and trying to appease the people who gatekeep it. Will Smith definitely fits in that category 1,000%. But that aside... This now adds yet another, I don't, even, I don't even want to call it a wrinkle. This is not even a wrinkle at this point. This is just like, this is just a rummaging of sorts, essentially. But this is just ruining his his, his career day by day by day. Like, allegations of, of this magnitude is just ruining him. And like, I can only wonder the status of his mental health is. I'll be the first to say that I was very angry with him. When he slapped Chris Rock, I made an entire podcast about it, about it. Y'all can check that out. Now, I'm, I'm just... I feel like I'm at the point now where I went from being angry with Will Smith to now where, like, I almost pity him. I feel like that's where I'm at with Will Smith. I'm at pity with regards to Will Smith because there's just so many stories that are coming out about him and all these allegations and these, 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 these whispers... And just the general perception of it. Like, people look at him like he's a cuck now. That's where he's at. And, like, and not to mention with, with Jada exposing him for the past three years, including in her latest book, um, which I like to call Unworthy. It's just more salacious things that come out about him as the day goes by. And it's starting to ruin a lot of people's perception of Will Smith. And, hell, it may even start to ruin a lot of people's childhoods about Will Smith. Listen, there are people that I know who come from foreign countries who have told me that they learned to speak English because they watched episodes of The Fresh Prince of Bel-Air on a regular basis. A lot of people have also told me that The Fresh Prince of Bel-Air was their gateway into hip-hop culture. And for me, I kind of echo similar sentiments. Like, it was the first time that I, that I recall seeing hip-hop culture being broadcasted to the mainstream on a non-musical level so on a musical level you could say that you know run dmc brought hip-hop to the mainstream or that you know dr dre introduced that form of hip-hop into the mainstream and thus hip-hop as as a whole into the mainstream um but from the tv and film side of things for me it was a fresh prince of bel-air easily easily and it wasn't done in the stereotypical way either it was done in a very tasteful manner that all ages and all demographics can 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 enjoy and appeal by, and I respected him so much for that. And for me, it was the fact that he that he danced to the danced to the beat of his own drum, and I love that. But clearly, he's been dealing with insecurities about that for a long time that he's just been harboring, and now they're just all coming out. I mean, hence he did a slave movie, and that's like. I mean, at the point of his career, he doesn't need to do that shit, but he did because he wanted to placate to that aspect of the culture that wanted to see more, quote-unquote, blackness from him. But I digress. This is yet another, another you know, bullet that's been pen- that's penetrated his armor, so to speak. And 
I don't know where he goes from here. I don't know if he just wants to stay silent, if he's going to address these rumors and allegations. But the the character assassination of Will Smith, it's gone too far. It has gone too far. We got to leave this man alone. It's actually disturbing. And I don't even know what else to say beyond that. All I hope for is that his mental health is in check. Because I don't want to say anything for fear of, you know, putting it into the universe. But we need to make sure that his mental health is in check. That's all I'm going to say. I will allow you guys to put the rest together. But if you know, you know, okay? Because we've seen too many celebrities, iconic ones at that, go a different route because of inner demons that they have yet to exercise or try to exercise, but it was just too much for them. So all I'm saying is we need to make sure that his mental health is in check before other actions are taken. And I'll just leave it at that. I will leave you guys to fill in the blanks. But with that being said, what do y'all think? You guys let me know as always. So let's get into our next topic within Trip Talk. Let's talk about Cassie. Now, this is an interesting one because Cassie came out the gate and let it be known that she is prepared to take Diddy to court over years of domestic abuse as well as sexual abuse from Diddy during the duration of their relationship that they had well over a decade ago. And I was like, oh, wow, okay. Like, she's whipping up the guns and, you know, bringing everything out of the woodworks. Okay. But then, very shortly after, they settled everything out of court. Diddy paid her, what was it, three and a half million dollars, and that was that. So, that being said, I have yet another theory behind this. I have two theories, in fact, behind this. And here are the two theories. Theory number one. Either Diddy, in fact, did do all those things that Cassie is alleging him of doing. And he basically paid her off as a form of hush money to be like, hey, keep your mouth shut and let's keep doing what we're doing. Which she accepted. Or the allegations were not true. And he knows that if he were to drag it out in court... Not only would his public perception be damaged as a result of that, especially with in the social climate that we're in right now, but the lawyer fees would probably outweigh however much it would have to take to pay her off. Because these these proceedings, they can go on for years. You know what I mean? And, you know, with Diddy hiring the best lawyers in town, that's going to cost him a very hefty penny. So as opposed to just dragging it out in court and potentially unearthing things that may damage his reputation as a whole, even though he may may not be guilty of it, there may be other things that are brought out to light that may, may make people th- think less of him or twice about him. He just says, you know what? Let me just pay you off right now and we can get rid of this whole thing altogether so that outside of paying these exorbitant lawyer fees and court fees, the, the 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 court of public opinion does not lynch me. So let's just pay it off right now and let's go our separate ways and do whatever. 
So one of those two things could in fact be true. I'm not going to say which one, but I'm saying that both have a possibility to be true. Now, with with what Cassie is alleging, I wouldn't be shocked. I wouldn't be shocked because let's let's keep it 100. Diddy's a womanizer. Diddy is a womanizer. Whether it's his relationships with Jennifer Lopez, whether it's his relationships with Lori Harvey, who dated his son at first, and then she, and then he proceeded to date her seemingly immediately after. Keep in mind, there's like a legitimate 30 plus year age gap between the two. So it's very disgusting. This is a man who also dated most frequently on and off Kim Porter. And now people are starting to speculate the, you know, details of her death, which, hey, I'm not really going to get into conspiracy theories. So I'll let y'all eat with that one. But regardless... Diddy does not have the greatest track record when it comes to women. He just doesn't. He's never been a kept man. And I'm not one for saying, oh, you got to marry somebody. No, like if you choose to get married, cool, get married. If you choose to be in a, you know, common law relationship where cohabitation is a thing, cool, do your thing. Or if you just prefer to have casual relationships and encounters with, with other people and, you know, children may come out of that. As long as both of you guys are understanding of that, so be it. If you want to be a polygamist, I don't know what state he's living in nowadays, but depending on whether or not polygamy is a thing in whatever state he's in, if that's what you want to do, great. But regardless, Diddy has always been a womanizer, and he's also had anger issues as well. So for Cassie to come out and say that these things did in fact happen, I wouldn't be shocked at it. But then also at the same time, and this is not me saying, oh, She's not, she's not telling the truth. I'm not definitively saying that. But in addition to what's been said, why take the plea deal? Or why take the settlement, rather? Because if it's about getting justice and you've prepared basically a dossier of events that have transpired over the course of a decade plus, and you you have and you you're confident at the very least that you have an ironclad case against him. Why not take this to court? Unless if it's an issue similar to Diddy, where she doesn't want to have to deal with the legal fees and everything like that. That could be it as well. But then why make this public? There's a lot of questions to be asked. Not saying that's not true. I'm just saying that there are two possibilities of. Or sorry, yeah, there are two possibilities of the case either of, yeah, the case being true or not true. There are two possibilities. I don't know which is which, but that forces people like myself and others to speculate whether one thing is true or whether one thing is, or, or whether the other thing is true. But I wouldn't be surprised if it were true because, again, Diddy has anger issues. And as such, let's go through these anger issues that he's had with other celebrities in the past. It's funny because somebody posted this on the Internet. I'm like, oh. Some of these things I knew about, other things I didn't know, and the certain details I just didn't know about altogether. So let's go through these things. So in various posts I've seen circulate on social media, it states that Diddy has dislocated Drake's shoulder over the 0 to 100 beat. Now, I know he assaulted Drake on that. I didn't know he busted his shoulder, though. That one was new to me. So there's that. Um, there's also the fact that this one, I didn't even have to look on the internet. This one just came to my mind right now because... Steve Stout spoke on it many times. But let's not forget that on the Hate Me Now video, on the set of the Hate Me Now video, 
there was a scene where he was videographed as being crucified on the cross. And he had second thoughts about that because he considers himself a man of God, quote unquote, ironically enough. Anyways, he went into the office of Steve Stout and cracked a champagne bottle over his head, forcing him to take that scene out of the video. So there's that, okay? Um, he also slapped J. Cole for taking up for Kendrick Lamar. That I didn't know about. And I would also know, I would also want to know about what he mean, what they mean by taking up for Kendrick Lamar. Um, blew up Kid Cudi's car for dating Cassie. Tried to pour a drink on Kendrick Lamar because of his control versus saying that he's the king of New York. Held Wale over a studio balcony for supposedly flirting with Cassie. There's a reoccurring theme here with, with regards to Cassie, okay? Um, and then outside of that, there's also the rumor, the alleged rumor that not only did he have something to do with the death of, or sorry, not the death, but with the murder of Tupac Shakur, but he also had something to do with the murder of Notorious B.I.G. Again, these are all alleged, as well as these events. But as we all know, just in general, when there's smoke, there's fire. So it can't just be a general hate campaign going towards Diddy. If multiple of these events have either happened or they're being alleged at the very least, the one has to take in consideration that one or more of these events may actually be true or the certain things within these events may have some truth to them. So that's just a little food for, food for thought over there. So I would not be surprised if Diddy was in fact responsible for, you know, the alleged sexual allegations or sexual assault allegations, as well as domestic, domestic abuse allegations um, that, that Cassie is posing. But then my question to Cassie, if these are true, why not take it to court and, and, and set an example out of this guy? Forget about the money settlements, make an example out of this guy. But again, these are things that we will never know behind. Uh, we will never know unless we are there behind the scenes or for a fly on the wall. But hey, what do you guys think about this? Again, share me your thoughts and let's talk about this. And then the final topic on Trip Talk that basically ties directly to uh, the Cassie Diddy situation is the fact that former label president of Bad Boy, Harv Pierre, is now being sued for sexual assault, grooming, and negligence with regards to Diddy's actions. So this story comes by way of Hot97.com. So verbatim, I'm going to read their, their story. Um, according to Rolling Stone, so original story from Rolling Stone, the former president of Bad Boy Entertainment is being sued by his ex-assistant for using, quote-unquote, his position of authority as her boss to groom, exploit, and sexually assault her. The report comes one week after P. Diddy, owner of the label, was sued for sexual assault, domestic violence, and more from his former signing and girlfriend Cassie. Pierre is being, is being accused of, quote-unquote, using his position of authority as the plaintiff's boss to groom, exploit, and sexually assault her. Court documents obtained by Rolling Stone state, quote-unquote, Pierre engaged in a year-long pattern of grooming plaintiff leading to sexual harassment of plaintiff and sexual assault. 
Bad Boy Entertainment, Bad Boy Records, and Combs Enterprises are all named as co-defendants in the lawsuit. She is reportedly asking for damages that quote-unquote fully and fairly compensates her. So again, where, where there's smoke, there's fire. And this does not seem out of the ordinary as well because unfortunately, one of the dark truths of the entertainment industry is that there are a lot of people who are in power who will take advantage of their power and they will groom their young and more attractive, you know, female compatriots and get them to do what they want at a beck and call because of the amount of power that they hold. This isn't too far removed from what we heard about um, uh, Jeff Epstein and his wife when they were basically hoarding girls into their compound and basically, basically grooming them for their own pleasure and satisfaction. This is not that far removed from that at all. In fact, this is probably the exact same thing. So I wouldn't be surprised if this was in fact true. I, I can believe this as much as I can believe the Cassie situation. I just hope that, you know, the, uh, the, the person accusing him is going to see this through to make an example out of him if this is in fact true. So again, we'll see how the details unfold, but this is basically the first that we're hearing of this. So I'm sure we will get more details as the case unfolds. But again, like the whole Diddy Cash scenario, let me know what your thoughts are and we can talk about it. And that brings us to the conclusion of today's episode, which we will end off with the segment that you all know and love and enjoy just as much as I do, maybe even more so, and that is the Wankster of the Week. Now, this Wankster goes to somebody outside of the hip-hop industry, actually. I'll just completely remove from it altogether. And I think this is one of the first times that we've done in a while where there's somebody who's just not you know, a part of that industry, but is a part of the entertainment industry nonetheless. So they fit within the pop culture bubble, but to a lesser extent. Uh, nonetheless, the Wankster of the Week goes to film director Carl Eric Rinch. Now, if you guys are not familiar with that name, uh, the most notable film that he's done is a film that goes by, by the title of 47 Ronin, which starred Keanu Reeves and Hiroyuki Sonata. It was an okay film. Didn't break any box office records or anything. In fact, I think it tanked in the box office. But I digress. So he is getting the Wankster of the Week because he has he was given a $44 million check by Netflix to produce a series or a film called Conquest. And apparently, he has blown that money altogether on his own things. What do I mean by that exactly? Well, he has spent that money on luxury vehicles that were worth $8.5 million in value. And he also invested that money into cryptocurrency. Because that's always a fun thing, right? <laughs> so... Not only did he do that, but like two years later after he had received that money, he requested more money, okay? More money from, <laughs> from Netflix because he says he needed more money to, to continue on with the production of the film. So what does Netflix do? And it's a little bit of a wankster part on their, on their end as well. They gave him 11 million more dollars in addition to the money that he had already lost that they are not aware of. So not only that, but he also lost $5.9 million in the stock market. And if that wasn't anything worse, 
He is also in the middle of a divorce from his ex-wife, who proactively has hired, and I didn't even know what this was until I heard about the story. Uh, by the way, shouts to my man, John Campia. He's probably never going to listen to this podcast, but shouts to him because this is where I got the information from, and he's very well connected. Um, he, or sorry, she, as in the ex-wife, hired a forensic accountant. I didn't even know that, that was a term, but basically... These people are like forensic scientists, but with money. And they're basically basically able to dig up a paper trail that has a paper trail that has a paper trail <laughs> in terms of money spent, money earned, and everything in between from your first ever bank account up until now. So she hired a forensic accountant to investigate how much money he spent on. That way she can get as much money out of the divorce settlement as possible because i'm assuming this guy did not sign a prenup therefore she is entitled to half of what he owns but he's probably in millions upon millions of dollars in debt at this point with whatever he did prior to and in addition to him basically stealing money from netflix in order to suffice for his own mishandlings of finances now far be it for me to say this guy's Hollywood career is done. It's over. Like, whether it's true or not, uh, no, it's it's not even a matter of whether or not it's true. It's definitely true. His career is done. Now, there has been no word from Netflix as of yet as to whether or not they are planning to sue him for, for committing fraud, because that's essentially what he did. Uh, for me, committing fraud, and I don't know if money laundering goes into that case because he did invest it into, like, other ventures. But nonetheless, he committed fraud. That like he definitely committed fraud. This is like this is somewhat similar to, um, fucking hell! I can't believe I'm about to messages, but what we're here now. But this is very similar to the the founders and the presidents of Black Lives Matter taking all that money that they received in donations from the community and investing it into luxury homes and properties and vehicles and shit like that. It's pretty much what they did. But instead, in this case, this was a loan from Netflix because in case some people aren't familiar, what happens is if you as a producer or a director or a fusion of the two want to make a movie or a TV show, you are given a loan from the studio, whether it's Netflix, whether it's NBC, whether it's Disney, you are given a loan of money for the creation of said project. And that money goes towards hiring actors, hiring script writers, screenplay writers, um, hiring crew members to, to deal with the with the hardware stuff like like the set decora set decorations or anything like that, costume designers, casting directors, etc. etc. That is what the budget is for. And when the show is all said and done, that show is expected to go so high in the ratings or to go so high in the box office with regards to a movie, or if it's like a straight to Netflix release, for example, in this case, you want the numbers and the analytics to go so high that the, the numbers will accrue to, to the money that was essentially loaned to you. So at the very least, you want your film to break even so that you pay off the loan right there and then. And then on top of breaking even, you want that movie to basically amount to as much money as possible so that it is now profitable so now extra money goes into your pockets and the actors pockets mind you everyone signs a contract but there are bonus incentives that are included within that that will you know line up your pockets that much more further that all being said 
this guy totally screwed the pooch when it came to that opportunity. Because that show is never, or sorry, that movie is never going to be made. And now Netflix has to compensate for the losses accrued because of this jackass. So I hope they take him to court. And I hope his wife takes him to the cleaners for everything that he's got. Because this guy is a certified jackass. And for that, he gets the wankster of the week. And on that note, ladies and gents, we are going to conclude today's episode. I want to thank you guys for tuning in. This was a bit of a long one. It's definitely a long one for sure. One of the longer ones I've done in a minute. Um, that that Drake, you know, um, dissection piece was probably the one that did it. But it had to be said. It had to be said. But either way, uh, follow me on all platforms as usual. At Cool Radio CC on multiple platforms. Uh, to listen to the show, you can listen to us on Spotify, on Google Play Music, and on SoundCloud as well, all in the same handle, same handle, pardon me, uh, Cool Radio CC. But nonetheless, thank y'all for tuning in. Uh, happy Thanksgiving to all my American peeps down south. I appreciate y'all and I love y'all. And as always, Cool Radio is a division of Cool Click Media and Entertainment, reminding you each and every day that we are out here creating our own legacies. Keep it gravy and wavy. We are out of here. Peace.